Why don't you go ahead and have a seat. And as you do that, I'm going to invite Caleb to stick around out here. Uh, hey, listen, you have met Caleb if you follow social media stuff. Uh, you just uh, listened to him lead uh, worship this morning. But could I formally introduce you now to your brand new worship pastor as we pull out some chairs out here? Caleb. Caleb Rogers. Caleb, go ahead and have a seat. Uh, I want to just kind of ask a couple of questions about uh, who you are, and let's get to know you just a little bit. You know, we're in this singer-songwriters series right now, and last week uh, you heard a couple of stories that were shared. We want to invite you to do that as well. Uh, you, you guys heard him sing. You don't know this, though, uh, singers and songwriters, Caleb is actually a songwriter as well. He's written some heart-level songs, and maybe we'll get blessed to hear some of those here at Venture. Um, Caleb, welcome. We're so glad. After Thanks. a long search, can we just say welcome and celebrate that? Yeah. We've got a picture we want to put up on the screen of Caleb and Anna and their sweet family. Tell us. Tell us a little bit about yeah, that's my wife, Anna, on the left. She's sitting over there, sorry. Uh, we've been married for nine years this last June. Um, and then on the right, that's our oldest, our son, Foster, uh, which is actually my wife's maiden name. I uh, love that. About, Isn't that creative? He's we'll about three and a half. And then our littlest, this is Raylan. We call her Ray. She's uh, eight months. Yeah. You know, I ask you this first service. I probably should ask you this this hour as well. A couple months ago, we were chatting, and just real casually, he slipped this into a conversation. I, I kind of had to tease it out of him. You kind of grew up around some, can we call them CCM royalty back in the day? Talk about. Yeah, uh, I grew up, um, I, my whole family plays music, and my dad was in a gospel quartet. So I kind of grew up on Southern gospel music, and he's uh, good friends with the Gaithers, and yeah, we're from Anderson, so there's the whole whole circle of you people. You grew there. up in that kind of yeah. subculture, and that's pretty cool. Uh, if my dad is watching this service later, he's going to stand up and start start applauding at that moment right there. That's that's pretty cool. So last week in this singers and songwriters series, we heard a couple of stories. We had uh, Joy Fell shared a story about her childhood, her mom singing over her at night, and just how powerful that is. I shared a story uh, of a time that a Rich Mullins song ministered to me in a powerful way after my mom's death. Tell us a, so a story. I'm sure you've got a hundred stories you could tell as a worship pastor. I know there's moments you look out when you're leading worship, and there's a moment there where you know God's doing something in this moment. And I'm sure you have all kinds of stories you could tell about you personally. T tell us a story about a time a song ministered to your heart. Yeah, uh, it was kind of hard to pick, um, but I actually was on a run with my father-in-law yesterday and made him pick. So if it's bad, then it's his fault. Um, but uh, we, uh, one of the things we like to do in our house, I know this is shocking, but we like to sing songs together. And so a lot of times the rhythm at night is I'll sit down with Foster and say, do you want to read a book or do you want to sing a song? Kind of 50-50 chance on which one he picks. Um, but one of the ones that we sing frequently together is a song called Goodness of God, um, which I know many of you uh, also responded to. as a song that has had an impact on you. Um, and the chorus of that song says, all my life you've been faithful. 
And uh, one day, my wife and I were driving in the car, and uh, Foster's yelling that out in the backseat. He's three years old, yelling out, all my life you've been faithful. And we kind of we started having a conversation about how simple it is for him to say that. Yeah. Um, maybe he doesn't even understand the full meaning of it, but it, he's had a good life, you know? It, there's not a whole lot to complain about as a three-year-old, uh, except for maybe some, like, goldfish being empty or something like that, you know? I complain um, about that at 48 as well. Yeah. So. Yeah, and uh, and so we started talking about, especially as we we worked through beginning to transition from uh, being in Milwaukee for almost ten years and kind of coming back home and getting to be a part of the Venture family. Um, it's it's been you know really hard at times, um, been really challenging. There's been frustrating seasons, but there's been super joyful seasons. And uh, this song has been something that's really ministered a lot to us as we've been able to be reminded the importance of, of singing songs or reading scripture, um, even when you don't feel it or when you don't see it. Mm. Um, and so that, that simple phrase, all my life you've been faithful, what I love about that is for, for some of you, that might be a really hard thing to say because as you look back, they're like, well, there are parts where he wasn't faithful, but the truth is that he's always been faithful. And so for us, over, over the course of this season, we've just been reminded over and over again of his faithfulness and um, now I feel like we're just walking in his blessing and, and truly experiencing his love. So Yeah, several of you did share that that is a song that has ministered to your heart. And uh, even as you were telling that story first hour, I, I was thinking, man, that, that song, there's powerful lyrics. We ought to sing that during this series. I, I remember standing right over there uh, not long after I came to join the Venture family and singing the lyrics of that song and feeling tears well up in my eyes. And right after COVID, when we're all back in this space after that weird season, I remember standing over there probably bawling like a baby during that song. Uh, there's just good things there, heart connection, songs become heart language that we get to pour out. So, man, thank you for sharing that. I'm so grateful for God's faithfulness even in this search process and the fact that your family is joining our church family. Uh, I want to pray over them. Would you maybe write where you're at, if you're comfortable doing this, would you just extend your hand toward Caleb? And uh, let's pray over their family and pray over the season of ministry that God's calling us into. God, I thank you for the Rogers family. Thank you for Caleb and Anna and their sweet kids. God, thank you for bringing them here, and we can't wait to see what you're going to do in us and what you're going to do through us as we serve together with them. God, um, we're grateful. And it's in your name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can we just one more time show them how grateful we are? Yeah. So let me, let me talk through church calendar just a little bit. Caleb is here this weekend, and uh, we're not done. You're going to get to hear him sing a song here in a few minutes. Uh, next week, be praying for them. They go back to say goodbye to rich and deep friendships and relationships that are 10 years old in Milwaukee. Uh, next weekend is their big goodbye weekend, and so be praying for them next weekend. Uh, the following weekend, that's October 1st, Caleb will be back here leading worship Sunday morning. Don't miss that. Let me also say, don't miss Sunday evening, October 1st. You've been hearing us talk about this the last couple of weeks. We're calling it a vision and worship night. It's from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. 
Caleb will lead, be leading us in worship that night. We're going to sing our guts out in here. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to share with you some vision of where we're heading this fall and even into the future. It's going to be an incredible night together. It's not going to just be in this space. It's going to be all up and down at the building. It's designed to be something for the whole family. It's interactive. You don't want to miss it. 6 to 8 p.m. There will even be some food involved. Have you ever had a mud cake? That's all I'm going to say on that topic. But seriously, you, you don't want to miss October 1st, that evening, Vision and Worship Night. Skip ahead a week, October 8th. Caleb won't be here that day leading worship because he already had a pre-planned commitment. Get this, he's running the Chicago Marathon. Yeah, he's, he's one of those guys. So we'll miss him here. The rest of us will be outside uh, worshiping on another worship on the lawn. We're going to celebrate the fall weather, cooler weather outside with a worship on the lawn. If you've been around Venture for any amount of time, you might recognize the name Joel Phillips. He's going to be leading worship that morning, and we're excited to have him here for that. Then don't miss the next Sunday, October 15th. It's going to be incredible. We're going to celebrate 55 years of faithful ministry in us and through us here at Venture Christian Church, my predecessor. Mark Wright is coming back and preaching that weekend, October 15th. You don't want to miss that weekend. It's going to be incredible. The following weekend, we're going to kick off a five-week series that's our annual fall spiritual growth journey. This one is called New Life, and I can't wait for that as well. So that's kind of the season we're getting ready to step into as a church. I hope and pray you'll make it a priority to be here each and every opportunity you have. If you're in town, come and join us for worship here. All right, singers and songwriters, this is week two of this series, and this series through the Psalms, what makes it so perfect is that it's current today. These songs are 3,000-ish years old, but they're very current today in the 21st century. This series, we're tackling all kinds of things. If I could take the whole book of Psalms and squish it all down to a sentence, I would say it this way. Worship God, period. By the way, you should note that that period is not silent. The idea being worship God, period, through all of life, 24-7, he calls us to worship him. Last week, we looked at the truth that there is a song for when I'm feeling anxious. There's a song for anxiety. We worship God even through that. Don't miss, next week we're talking about a song for praise. Sometimes we feel like worshiping. There's a song for hope when we need to cling to hope. There's a song for gratefulness. I love that. Today, today we're leaning in on the truth that even after 3,000 years, God's word still speaks. Today, there's a song for repentance. And we need this. As we're going to explore here in just a few minutes, we need, we need a song for repentance. I uh, enjoyed this so much last week. We're going to do this all of the weeks during this five-week series. We're going to take a moment to read the song, read the psalm out loud. Last week we read Psalm 27. Today we're going to read Psalm 51. Would you stand up with me to honor God's word as we stand and we read together? My friend Denise Good is going to read this psalm. 
Denise is fairly new to our church. She's been here for about seven months. You're going to love her sweet southern accent as she reads Psalm 51. Listen for themes of repentance. See on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken, contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices whole burnt offerings to delight you, then bulls will be offered on your altar. Thank you, Denise. Would you bow with me? God, we, uh, we thank you that your word speaks truth 3,000 years ago. It still speaks truth today. Speak to our hearts right now as we study, as we examine this psalm. And it's in your name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you have a seat? As you do that, last week we looked at Psalm 27 and we looked at the backstory of what was going on in David's life probably when that psalm was written. I want to do the same thing right now in Psalm 51. This story has made its way not just inside the walls of the church but into pop culture. There's a singer-songwriter Oh, years ago. His name is Leonard Cohen. Anybody recognize that name? Secular Jewish man, an artist, singer, songwriter. He wrote a song. I bet you've heard this song at some point. It's the song called, we were looking at the word earlier, Hallelujah. And it's got some interesting words in the song that uh, he's playing a little bit fast and loose, in my opinion, with the biblical account, but it kind of tells the story of the preamble, what happened before David sat down and penned the words of Psalm 51. Here's the first verse. Now, I've heard there was a secret chord that David played, and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do you? It, It goes like this. The fourth, the fifth, 
the minor falls, the major lifts, the baffled king composing, hallelujah. And then over and over it repeats the word hallelujah. This is the second verse that I think gets a little bit into the story of David and Bathsheba. Your faith was strong, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing on the roof. Her beauty and the moonlight overthrew you. And then it goes on to get into the story about how David committed sin with beautiful Bathsheba. We're going to talk about that here in a moment. But before we do that, I had a conversation several years ago with a musician about that particular song. And I was like, there's some language in here. I need an artist to explain it to me. And he literally sat down at the piano and he started playing what he heard in the song lyrics. He said, this is what the fourth is. This is the fifth minor chords. If you want to write a sad song, minor falls, you write it in a minor key. He said, if you want an excited song that's going to pump you up and you're going to get a lot of radio play, you write it in a major key. And then he went on to say this. He said, listen, if you want to write a pop song that's going to make a lot of radio play, there's basically three or four chords. There's a progression. It sounds like this. And he started taking me through the whole American songbook. He started with like the Beatles and he talked, you could go from this song into this song. And it basically, there's kind of some beats in here and some rhythm and some chord progression that sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? So interesting. Skip ahead. I thought about that conversation this past, I think it was May, Ed Sheeran, a current singer-songwriter. He's um, writing his music, and he's, made all, he's, he's selling out stadiums. He's an amazing artist. He was sued for copyright infringement because this song sounds an awful lot like this song. And I saw this video. He took his guitar out on the stand in the courtroom, and he's playing. He did the same thing that my friend did years ago. Listen to this song and listen to this song, and don't they sound similar? There's a lot of key elements in pop music. What's going on here in David's life? He sees Bathsheba. She's bathing on the roof. He commits adultery. He's married, and by the way, so is she. Come to find out she's pregnant. So he calls his commander and pulls him aside and says, hey, I'm sticking back here in Jerusalem. You take, her husband's name is Uriah the Hittite. You take him out on the battlefield. When the battle gets strong, you back up and leave him up there. He dies. David passively commits murder. The themes that we see before David sits down pens the 51st Psalm. Second verse, same as the first, just like pop music, one song sounds like another. For 3,000 years, men have fallen to many of these same temptations that David fell to. I don't want to leave out women as well. Sin is sin. There are some common themes here. We would do well to write our own repentance song. Listen to the, what happens next. I'm in 2 Samuel chapter 12. I'm not going to put this part on the screen. I want you just to listen to this. The Lord sent Nathan, the prophet of God, to David. He walks into David's throne room. 
and he confronts him. Kind of. He tells a story. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, it drank from his cup, and it even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Your heart strings start to get pulled, right? Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who came to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Do you feel the anger begin to build inside of you? Well, the same thing happens to David. Look at this language, verse 5. David, the king, he's got all the power at his disposal. He burns with anger against the man, and he said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. And he's the king. He has the power to make this so. He must pay for that lamb four times over. I'm going to make this happen. Where is he? Let me add him. Because he did such a thing, and he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, and David felt the color flush from his face, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, and I gave your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah, and if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? And David's face flushes even more. He's describing murder. You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. There's some more details that describe the depth of David's sin. Skip down to verse 13. See what his reaction is when he's confronted with the truth. Before he sits down and pens a song of repentance, David said to Nathan, Yeah, I have sinned against the Lord. He owns his sin. And notice, there's all kinds of people that he committed sins against, in my opinion, but he says this was before God. We'll talk about that here in a second. What's he feeling? I've got one word for it. It's the word busted. Have you ever felt this? Some of you have felt this moment this past week. Maybe some of you felt this this morning already. If you haven't yet, I'm going to invite you. We're going to take a moment and sit in our sin here in just a few minutes. I'm going to invite you to lean in on that even today. Busted. My sin. God knows. I'm found out. Have you been there? By the way, a prevention for repentance is holiness. The way to prevent feeling that moment of feeling busted is by living holy. Holy literally means set apart, apart from my sin, closer to God. But an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? I wonder how many times during David's life, after this moment, did he regret being a peeping Tom? I wonder how many times did he autopsy each and every wrong tactical move that he took on the battlefield 
of his temptation. It's so hard to live with a long view. One of my favorite proverbs describes this, like a dog that, ha- that returns to his vomit. I have a dog, yep, they do that. Is a fool who repeats his folly, your sin. How many of those sins have you said that's the last time and like a dog that returns to his vomit, you find yourself right back there during 2020? During that weird season we were talking about just a bit ago, we were, as a church family, walking through a book together. I loved that time to be on the same page together all through that year. We were walking through a book called Core 52. I love this quote that talks about holiness. Check this out. This is Core 52. Sometimes holiness is a challenge. Yeah, a lot of times it is, right? Sex tonight or a strong marriage later. Fall to temptation now or live a healthy marriage later. You get the tension. Speak my mind now or have to rebuild that relationship later. Steal now or keep my dignity later. These aren't hard decisions. The difficulty is in the delay, that nagging later, living with the end in mind. When we wrestle with holiness, it's not because we really believe what the world has to offer is better. It's because we don't believe that either the presence or the proclamation of God is reality. Isn't that an interesting thought? I said it a bit ago. I'll say it again. Repentance is the antidote to sin. Repentance is the antidote for sin. Are you familiar with what an antidote is? I keep catching myself saying antidote versus antidote. My southern Illinois is coming out, right? Here's the definition of antidote. This is a medicine taken or given to counteract a particular poison. Be, let me be very clear. The poison in your life that threatens to kill you is sin. Repentance is the antidote that you take for that calling it a song for repentance. This is David's song for repentance. David is swallowing the medicine. He's taking the antidote here. Last week I shared with you one of my new favorite books. It's a uh, book that's 100 years old. It's the Psalms outlined. It was a gift from me to me from one of my uncles. I love the way the book smells like any good 100-year-old book should smell. I love uh, each one of these is old, antiquated, 100-year-old language, and it reminds me that God's faithfulness 3,000 years ago is the same as God's faithfulness 100 years ago is the same as God's faithfulness today. This is the way that author outlined Psalm 51. Sin confessed, self-discovered, sacrifice required, spirit restored, service possible, song recovered, salvation complete. I love that. I took that and played with that a little bit this past week. What I want to share with you is that there are eight stanzas in this repentance song. Which, by the way, this isn't just David's song. This is a template for your repentance song that you're getting ready to sing before God. Eight stanzas. I don't know if you're familiar with that musical term. Last night I had my uh, sermon notes open and my wife Dawn walked past and she saw that and she said, stanzas, ha, Stan, get it? I've been hearing that my whole life long. I grew up in the church. We talked about that during the last series, Pharisees, recovering Pharisees like me. 
I grew up with song leaders. Maybe you remember this if you grew up in the church that are doing this through four lines of the song, uh, and he would say something like, we're going to sing four stanzas, we're going we're to sing four, and then we're going to stand on the fifth. Some of you recognize that language. By the way, what I was just doing, that's four-four time. Ask me how I know that, because you're looking at a guy who has one credit hour on the college level in song leading. My freshman year of college, I learned some of those. Why? 30 years ago, we thought this is how the church is going to be doing worship forever. Maybe Caleb can do that next week. Eight stanzas, eight verses, eight lines in this repentance song. If you're taking notes, you might, might want to write these down. I have a ton of stories about times when I thought I was repenting when I was a kid. I'll never forget the time. I was together with my brothers and my dad a couple weeks ago, and they were reminding me of this story. My brother has a scar on his forehead to illustrate this moment. This is how country we were. He was in the backyard burning our trash, and an aerosol can blew up and hit him in the forehead. I had just mopped the kitchen floor. I don't know what the teen teen angst was inside of me, but I didn't let him in. I didn't want him to bleed on my freshly mopped floor. (laughs) After getting back later from the hospital and stitches, my mom made me apologize, and it was through clenched teeth, I'm sorry. What kind of a jerk teenager was I, right? That's not repentance. That's not even an appropriate apology. Repentance is so much more. Repentance, let's make sure we know what we're talking about, is turning away from sin and it's turning toward God. Repentance is I'm walking this direction, I'm going to stop, I'm going to turn around and I'm going this way, away from sin, back toward God. There's eight lines in this song, eight stanzas. By the way, this is for you to write because you're a songwriter. Even if you're tone deaf, you're a songwriter. I looked it up this past week. Did you know that there's between 2 and 5% of the population that's tone deaf? Some of you are like, I know, I was standing next to him this morning. There's tone deaf musically. You can't hear and repeat tones. There's also tone deaf through an EQ lens. Some of you know what that's all about. Let me just say this. Here's the caution. Don't be tone deaf toward God. You need to write a repentance song. You're a songwriter, even if you're tone deaf. So today, can I encourage you, write a repentance song and use Psalm 51 as your template. Here are the eight stanzas. If you're taking notes, write these down. Number one, write your song with details. Write it with details. We tend to speak in metaphors or half statements. Metaphors, by the way, only work in love songs. Oh, I love you like an ocean, whatever. No, no, no. When you write your repentance song before God, give your sin a definition. Define it. Describe it. In detail, he already knows what it is. You're familiar with the term define the relationship. If you're dating, there comes a moment when you need to sit down and define the relationship. David begins this beautiful piece of art defining the relationship. He uses three words to describe the reason why he needs to write a song of repentance. Look at these. See if you can find them here. Psalm 51, here's the beginning. We've already looked at why he wrote it. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, 
Blot out my transgressions. There's one. Wash away all my iniquity. There's two. Cleanse me from my sin. There's three words to describe. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Each term was deliberately chosen, in my opinion, for its unique meaning in the Hebrew language. The word transgressions. It means flat-out rebellion. God, I saw her bathing on the roof. I knew what I was supposed to do. I did the exact opposite. I was in rebellion before the creator God of the universe. The other word we saw there, iniquity. This literally means a a distortion of what should be. God, you've created me to be this person, but because of my human nature, I'm this person. And then the third word is that good old-fashioned word. It simply is sin. It means missing the mark. I was aiming this direction, and I ended up over here. I've sinned. Flat-out rebellion. I'm not who you created me to be. When you write your repentance song, name your sin. Give it some definition and measure it against your heart. David is making it very clear that his sin is deep and that there's no minimizing and there's no excusing it. Number two. Second verse. Eh, kind of same as the first. Sing for mercy. You need it. Appeal to God's mercy. David does this. He starts the psalm with, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Have mercy. Mercy only matters to the guilty. Posture matters, by the way. How do you approach our God of mercy when you are busted? As a repentant sinner? As a shame-filled sinner? Or do you approach the creator God of the universe as some pompous punk? Number three, sing with receptiveness. Own your sin. Avoid defensiveness. See God rightly for who he is in right relationship to who you are. By the way, David's sin hurt multiple people. He had committed adultery. He had orchestrated a murder. Then he tried to cover it up. And yet he says to God, well, let's see it right here. He says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. How can it be? Well, if sin is missing the mark, then we have to ask, well, whose mark are we missing? God's. It's God's mark. It hurts other people. And repenting, to, get, uh, repenting uh, to those people is important, but sin is ultimately against God. It's his ways that we've failed to live up to. We're image bearers. He is who we've really hurt. Number four, write Jesus into your song. We talked about this a few weeks ago. You can see Jesus in the Old Testament if you know where to look for him for. Verse 7, cleanse me with hyssop, and I'll be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. This word here, it's like an herb. It's a branch. In the Old Testament, the Passover meal, before God's people left the nation of Egypt, Jesus, communion, has strong ties to the Passover meal. It started with this command from God. I want you to take a hyssop branch, dip it in blood, paint the top of your door frame with that. I did some digging this past week and discovered that hyssop actually has some medicinal values even today. Check this out. This is so cool. Hyssop regulates blood pressure. Isn't that interesting? 
blood sacrifice then. Jesus becomes the fulfillment of that blood sacrificial system. Don't believe me? Look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. Basically, the author is saying Jesus would have to do this over and over and over again if we were still living under the Old Testament system. Christ would have to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. It's Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, the blood sacrifice. Hyssop is a hint toward that that gets us closer to God, and we get to repent and be connected with him. His blood is enough to make us whiter than snow. Number five, sing an honest song. Are you lying to yourself? Are you lying to God? Are you lying by omission? I'm not even going to bring it up to him and tell him about this sin that I have committed. He knows. By the way, healing begins with brokenness. That word brokenness. Mm. Look at the text, verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Have you been with somebody when they broke an arm or a leg, broke a bone? One of our boys is accident prone. I was just down at Riley Hospital. One of our boys had a surgery across the street at Eskenazi this past week. And I had lunch with a buddy over at Riley Hospital. And I was telling this story. And I'll never forget one of my boys fell down the stairs one time. Grandma and his aunt had gotten there. And he came running around the corner with the arm just flopping. Some of you just gasped. It was like that gross. Ugh. Not long before that, he had broken maybe the other arm. I forget. I get confused which one was which. They said it in a cast, but he's a boy, all boy, right? During the summertime, he's out doing the stuff, and it healed incorrectly inside the cast. They cut it off. It's like, well, that doesn't look right. Surgery at Riley. Let's break it, reset it, put it back together. There's something in that that's great imagery for brokenness. Has your sin, have you allowed it to break you before a holy creator God of the universe? It is God sometimes who breaks. It is God who sets. And oh, hear me, it is God who heals. I love what Charles Spurgeon said about this when he wrote, seeing that our weakness and experiencing God's power to save, this can teach us a heart music which only broken bones can learn. Brokenness. Are you broken before God? There's no time like the present to lean into that. I like this word, number six, croon. Croon about God's comfort in your song. His Holy Spirit comforts David. Some of us, there's strong confession that needs to happen here in a few moments. Some of us, we've felt brokenness and we've confessed. We need to allow God to do some healing work in our lives and comfort us and receive his comfort. David prays, well, let's read it. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. I crave, I need your comfort. Number seven. Seven, the seventh stanza. Sing for joy. When we see what God can do with our brokenness, the redemption that he provides when we repent, sing for joy, speak the truth. David puts it this way, open my lips, Lord, and let my mouth will declare your praise. And number eight, oh, I like this, number eight, resolve 
your song. If I had more time today to do it, I would unpack that word resonance through a musical lens, what happens with tone and vibrations, even of a, a string instrument, resonance, what happens there. Can I just encourage you that resonance in this repentance song, well, resonance is your obedience. Remember, repentance is walking this direction, stopping and turning around and going back toward God. I love the way this pastor and writer, a Puritan man named Thomas Watson, he put it this way, he said, Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Can you taste your sin, that bile in the back of your throat right now? Can you taste the bitterness of your own sin until you recognize how bitter it is? You can't really taste how sweet God's forgiveness, God's redemption is. I like verse 17, and I want to land the plane here. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back out. And by the way, would you do me a favor right now and grab those communion elements that were sitting on the seat when you walked in? Grab them, pull them out, hold them in your hands. David put it this way, my sacrifice, O oh God, the way I'm going to worship right now is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. I'm counting on it. I'm banking on it. I need his grace. I need his forgiveness. I need his redemption. I'm going to invite you right now. We're going to listen.